For every veteran, there is a story. A story about a calling to serve, to fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Wads programs help veterans recover from PTSD and invisible wounds through exercise, nutrition, and connecting with other veteran leaders. It is estimated that 22 veterans die each day by suicide, and another 30 veterans die each day by substance abuse. These are preventable deaths. Warrior Wad is committed to fighting PTSD through fitness, nutrition, and community. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Mr. Hutchman. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to our Thursday after dinner show. It's as you know, this week started off with a down note as we lost uh, five or six night stalkers, and our thoughts and prayers are still going with their families as they're still uh, reeling with those losses. Uh, so please keep them in your thoughts and prayers as uh, you know those families will be receiving those uh, those heroes here soon from Dover Air Force Base and uh, going to their final resting places. Tonight, we have a great guest. Her clients call her the book whisperer. She's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, mentor, trainer, mom bear humanitarian, and speaker known for riveting stories of transformation. She has been uh, showcased on Oprah, Dateline, CNN, GMA, and now the Misfit Nation. So without further ado, let's welcome Bridget Cook Birch to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Bridget. 
Well, thank you, Rich. I'm really delighted to be here. Nice to see you. It's great to have you on. Like we were talking earlier, it's great to actually speak to you and not just read about you and like use the vice versa, watching my show and, and learning more about us. So it's great to have you here. I just gave a little bit about you right there. If you don't mind telling us a little more about your story from as far back as you want to go to how you got to what you're doing today. Well, thank you. Um, first of all, I also want to offer my condolences to the families. Um, I have Air Force in my family. My brother's a lieutenant colonel retired. Uh, I have a niece who is a pilot. And so um, I carry all of those things deeply in my heart for uh, these these veterans and their families and um, well, active military and families. And, and just want to say thank you for your service. And uh, I'm grateful, Rich, that you have a place that actually honors this service. It's um, what a beautiful thing. Thank you. Um, I'll get started just talking a little bit about my story. So um, I had three sets of parents by the time I was six months of age. And I, I didn't realize that I had um, a deep wounding inside. I had really incredible adoptive parents, but I had this um, part of me that always had to prove myself and uh, often felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I must not be smart enough or pretty enough or good enough for, um, you know, the big people would always leave at some point. And um, so I was fiercely independent. I made a hell of a lot of mistakes. And um, I ended up in the hospital when I was in my early 20s. I was listening to two nurses outside in the corridor and they said, she's not going to make it until morning. And, um, you know, I don't know about you when you were in your early 20s, but you feel rather invincible in a lot of ways. And all of a sudden I'm dying. And so I had some pretty intense experiences in the hospital, including a near death experience and a presence that filled my room with unconditional love and lit every cell of my body on fire and let me know I was being given a second chance at life. It was huge for me. And I know that um, there's a lot of military with near-death experiences as well. I've worked with several of them as my authors. And so um, it, it, it was a profound experience for me. And, and when I was able to get out of the hospital, like that promise of a, of a new day, a new life was huge for me and I didn't take it for granted. So uh, I had an opportunity to move to Denver and work with these high-risk gang kids. And you know, you know a lot about uh, the reason that kids become involved in gangs. It's, you know, um, sometimes it's it's mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncle are gang members. Sometimes it's this is the only family that they know because there's no one really at home. And these were the kinds of kids that I was working with. But I also saw what saw what happened when someone would show up as a leader in their lives who saw more than a broken person before them, who saw more than where they came from and the box that they'd been living in and even the belief systems in their heads. And I learned from these leaders how, how to actually see someone for who they really are. And I also felt like I was given a gift from my near-death experience to actually see people's stories and to be able to understand why they believed what they believed and also the gift of, of what was possible for them, where they might be headed. 
And so I got to write a lot of these stories. I got to fall in love with a lot of these kids. I got to learn from these incredible leaders and uh, set me on a path. So I just kept writing and I thought I, you know, eventually would love to be a fictional author, you know, somewhere up in the mountains with my cat and my dog under my feet in the fireplace. And now I'm in the mountains and I have a cat or a dog under my feet, um, my great big Akita. But I will tell you that I am privileged to write some of the most extraordinary stories on the planet. So men and women who have lived through the depths of hell and have come out on the other side and now they're incredible contributions to society, to their families, to the world. And I learned very quickly that words and stories can change the world. And I'm just really grateful to be here tonight because I've seen you do this in your podcast. And uh, I love who you serve. And I, I think it's wonderful. It's these, these stories that mold us. And I think we also have to be careful because sometimes we can get caught up in stories that are not true and they can really mess with us and they can mess with our nation. They can mess with our world. You know, we've seen that with Russia and Ukraine, that stories can be used as propaganda. And so it's important for us to do a little research, um, make sure that we're um, always checking sources of certain stories but also the story that we're telling ourselves. As I learned in the hospital, the story you tell yourself is the most important story on the planet because it will guide and direct every single thing that you do. So in as a book whisperer, what I do is I assist emerging leaders to recognize the power in their own story, whether that's on stage or page, and be able to bring it out into the world where it can transform other lives. Awesome, and you, you brought up gang gang related youth, I guess. A lot of them either make the choice to go to that gang or wind up in the military. There's only, not too many ways out for a lot of young guys and, and girls now. They're either going to wind up in that life or wind up in a whole other gang, which is the military, which is the biggest gang in the world. But it's a different type of gang. You're not taught to you know, rob and pillage, you're taught to a skill, and hopefully, you're learning a skill and not just that you would have learned on the streets. And so we got to meet a lot of those too, as we were coming up in the military, a lot of the listeners were as leaders, we got to actually sit with them and mold them and hear that backstory of either having only a mom or either, or a dad or neither, and maybe living with uncle or grandma because one was around and living off the streets with, like you said, the family they had and having someone like you that's helped, that can help them as they emerge from that darkness, that gray area to do better things in life. That's amazing. Thank you. It's It's been a most incredible journey. That is for sure. It, it really is. Um, my first book was about a former skinhead. Um, he joined a, a gang of skinheads when he was younger in Redlands, California, and they weren't racial to begin with. Um, there were all, you know, skinheads of all different backgrounds. And um, then there were factions called the Sharps, the skinheads against racial prejudice that actually forced people to pick sides, mm -hmm. but uh, he ended up going into the military and the military was really good for him. He loved boot camp. He really thrived there. He was doing well. But then he got a desk job in Hawaii and that ended up being his downfall. He got bored. He had too much energy information. And so he was handing out copies of Mein Kampf at the same time as Timothy McVeigh was doing the same thing in another branch of the military. And, um, 
he was quite destructive for a while. And then TJ became a dad. And it really made him rethink his priorities and what he wanted for his sons. And when he recognized, you know, um, it, it, they would do things like the Zig Heil. I mean, that's what, what he and his skinhead wife taught their sons. And then he was like, I, I don't even know if my sons will even make it to be my age. And he recognized that he wanted them to have lives of contribution, something to build like he'd found in the military, something extraordinary. And um, what he was teaching them was going down the wrong path. So that was TJ's major turning point was becoming a dad. And it, it brought him back to a deeper code of ethics that he'd never had before. And so all the skill sets he'd used to recruit kids to into the gang, he was a member of Western Hammerskin Nations, one of the biggest um, skinhead groups in the entire world. And, um, uh, and it was becoming a dad that brought him back to that code of ethics. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating what these beliefs again, that we, you know, what, what are the stories that we believe in and how can we shift and change those stories? He became, um, you've probably seen uh, History Channel's Gangland series, was out several years ago. He was in almost every one of them because they were trying to have all these different experts. And so they're asking like, you know, um, Aryan nations, who's your, who's your worst enemy? And they're like, TJ Leiden. And they, and they asked the gangs in prison and they asked all of these different gangs, who's your worst enemy? Who who would you like to take out? Because he's a threat. And they're like, T.J. Leiden. So wow. it, was, it was pretty wild to write his story. And I had to delve into a lot of dark corners within myself to even write this. But it was such a story of transformation. It has saved lives in and out of prison it's it's been a really phenomenal journey and it was how i got started on my career so i'll i'll never forget you know just some of those formative experiences for kids because you you never know where someone will be headed and I, that's part of the reason why i love that you're about loyalty and family and leadership because every time we turn around we have an opportunity to be an example to someone else you know older or younger and there's extraordinary things that we can do if if we put out that clear intention and then we make sure that our actions follow. Exactly. And uh, that's an amazing story of today there. Uh, speaking of Timothy McVeigh, when I was stationed in uh, Fort Riley, Kansas, my soldiers actually stayed in the same barracks that he stayed in when he was stationed there uh, prior oh, wow. to getting out doing his destruction. Uh, I, was, I guess TJ was probably in, I guess, the same time, 89, 88 through 91-ish or something that. So that's and before that, of course, with his runnings, with the his other life, and then finally getting around, with, like you said, a child. The child changes lives, and most people do change for the better when they have one. Some mm -hmm. just don't know anything else to do but to be the way they were, and they think just keep having kids or do whatever, and that's just a number for them. But some actually see that light and say, I need to do better so they'll be better, and that's awesome that he did that. Yeah, I, I love that. I learned a lot in writing that story. That's for sure. So when you first sat down with him, were you, did you were you any uh, apprehensive at all knowing his background or you just went right in? Well, I actually had a very fascinating way of meeting TJ. Um, 
I was writing a story that I thought was going to be fiction about a kid who walks away from his gang, has a price tag on his head, and um, it would be a story of forgiveness, a story of redemption. And, and so I'm writing this story. And one night in the middle of the night, I had this dream with characters and scenes and plots and even eye color. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on vacation, you know, and my little ones are in bed and my husband is asleep. And I was like, this is the makings of the most incredible novel. So I raced downstairs at my in-laws and I wrote from like two o'clock in the morning until 10. And then, you know, as a lot of writers do, I had to put it away for a while because I, I had my day job and I had my little ones and, you know, I had all, all of these things that I was doing. But when I went to do research, because, you know, I worked with a lot of Bloods and Crips and Westra Familia, you know, these these other gangs in Denver and white supremacy was not a big deal in Denver at the time. Um, but in my dream, it was this fully indoctrinated, full, you know, just um, fully violent skinhead. And so I had to go do some more research on skinheads because I was like, I need to understand the ideology behind this hatred that I saw in my dream and um, and and was just floored because just like uh, Hitler and the followers of Hitler, they believed that if you were not white and not healthy, that you should be euthanized and sterilized and wiped off the planet. And, um, and, and that was the kind of hatred that I was trying to uh, showcase in my fictional novel, right? And then I come across this guy's website, TJ Leiden. So everything I had written in my fictional novel and that he had written on his website were in tandem. And I found out that the hero of my story was real. And he had left his gang. He had a $3 million price tag on his head, websites that said terminate on site, but he didn't care because now he had a passion, a vision and a mission for his life. And part of that was to be a really great example to his kids. So he took like Rich, all of the skill sets that he had in being this, you know, leader of young kids and leading them to destruction, he used for creation. He used for them to do great things. And then um, uh, a few years ago, uh, TJ had a stroke and he stopped being able to, um, to speak, to express himself. And so this book became his voice. And, um, you know, this book was my very first. It wasn't on Oprah. He was on Dr. Phil, CNN, um, History Channel, things like that. It never made me a million dollars, but I could not be more proud that it is still saving lives and it is his voice to this day. So it, it um, writing that book changed me. So that was the first book really, uh, besides your real, your actual little ones, that was your, your birth into uh, being an author. So you have to keep that close to your heart forever. We always be your baby. Yep, that is for sure. <laughs> then I had a, a woman that reached out to me she said, um, I read your book and I reached out to the publisher because I think if someone could take a story of so much darkness, but create hope and healing, it would be you. And then she said, I'm the daughter of the happy face serial killer. Would you write my life story? And Rich, I just remember like, honestly, um, falling on my knees and, and thinking to my creator, like, 
how in the world could I write a story of hope and healing about a serial killer's daughter? And yet when I reached back out to her and heard her voice and heard her story, I'm like, this woman is incredibly inspiring. And she was. And so her book was also about coming out of darkness, um, you know, claiming her voice, claiming her power. Now she's a producer in L.A. She has several different stories. She's known for bringing compassion to true crime. She changed the story she was telling herself, and it's been incredible. She has two books out now and um, is, is just going gangbuster. So, you know, one of the things I know you like to um, ask for authors to give tips and, and other things. And one thing that I would I would share with your listeners is is to to really have an understanding that your story is powerful and everyone gets scared thinking, you know, is my story good enough? But if you put the time and energy and you have the clear intention to serve someone with it, that's when I see miracles happen. That's when I see opportunities come up and doors that will open. Most people will not get wealthy on a book, but they will become extremely abundant from the doors that will open from having a book, especially if it's done well and it's promoted well so that more eyes can be on it. And so it has to be good and done. And, and that's <laughs> what I love being able to do. So I've written several books since that time. I have an opportunity to coach a lot of authors and speakers. And uh, I, I just really, I really love and adore it. I also, um, I work with a lot of veterans too. And boy, I'll tell you some extreme stories there as well. And very powerful. Yeah, a lot of my brothers and sisters have amazing stories uh, uh most of us will say they're not awesome stories but then when we tell them to someone else it comes out as oh that's that's amazing you're so humble you don't tell anyone anything i just that's just a job that's what we did we didn't understand it as something other than our job and then when you tell someone else it kind of opens their eyes to things that not just i many of us went through and makes them under and appreciate more what the military does in the community and, and in their way yeah, I would agree. And and the only way for us to actually know about the sacrifices, about the service, about these other things is, is someone who's courageous enough to let them, their guard, to be vulnerable and real and raw and to tell the stories. You know, not compromise the nation doing it, but the, the <laughs> personal stories with the backgrounds. I know you're laughing about that, but those those personal stories that you can tell that are so you know, amazing, compelling, inspiring. So I know we talked about skinhead confession and we talked about the second uh, book with the happy face killer's uh, daughter. What are you, I, I know I read your bio after 22 in 22, you had three more coming out in, in last year. How mm -hmm. many more do you got coming out? Oh, and um, I had, I had a few more that came out in 23 and now um, I have a few more that'll be coming out in 24. And I, I don't talk too much about them until they're out because a lot of people will tell their story so much that it never gets written or, or produced and out there in the world. But I, I did have a beautiful story that I think your listeners would um, learn a lot from. So there's a gentleman by the name of Gary Lee Price, and um, he was actually lost his father, excuse me, his father and his mother on an army base in Mannheim, Germany when he was just six. 
and um, his stepfather uh, killed his mother. It was a murder-suicide. And so Gary and his little baby brother were shipped back to the States, but from the frying pan into just fiery, a fiery den of torment and abuse because the adults were working nights. And so no one knew what Gary was being subjected to. And it was horrific abuse. And at one time he had to decide, is this going to make me bitter or better? And he had some really amazing examples of leadership and care, including elementary school teachers that kept him alive. And um, he found God and art. And the finding of God opened his world in, in this big, beautiful way. And the finding of art transformed him forever. His mom used to put him on his lap, on her lap, and and teach him how to blend colors and and do other things. But it was painting on canvas. And he became actually quite renowned in Montpelier, Idaho, if you can believe that little area. But people would come from miles around to buy his paintings. And wow. then when he found clay is when his entire genius just took off. So he became um, internationally renowned. His pieces are found all over the world. But he had this profound experience at one point where he was being commissioned for a piece of work. Um, Stephen Covey, who you might have heard of, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He was on the speaker circuit with this incredible man, Dr. Viktor Frankl. And Dr. Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, was a survivor of three concentration camps. And when he got out, he wrote this book within less than um, 14 days. And part of it was he had it almost written and then he went through the concentration camp experience and he came back and he just wrote it. And it's an incredible book. But one of the things Dr. Frankl said, he loved the United States, but he said, you need to have a statue of responsibility because you cannot have liberty without responsibility. And um, Gary is fulfilling Dr. Frankel's dream. So in the works is a 305 foot statue, a monument to responsibility. And it's one hand reaching down to lift another. And I get a little emotional when I talk about it, but I saw you know, what happened to Gary and all of these things. And he could have, he could have become a serial killer He from the abuse. He could have become all kinds of things and no one would have blamed him after everything he suffered. But instead he's like an incredible example to us of what is possible on the planet. And so he pays homage to those who lifted him. And he says, you know, they rise highest who lift as they go. And Rich, I think it is the coolest thing because we will be seeing the Statue of Responsibility in our lifetime. There are plans afoot and it is very exciting. So that was, the book is called Divine Turbulence and um, one of my favorites to write. And uh, so anyway, that that was a beautiful book and I've got more beautiful books on the horizon. Um, just released one recently called When God Has More Faith Than Your Doctors. And it's about a gentleman who almost lost both of his legs. He was not a military veteran, um, but he was an athlete and um, a really humble guy from very humble circumstances and beginnings. And um, also went through various illnesses in his life. And 
and um, he wound up in the hospital and uh, they put him in under in a coma and they were telling his wife that she needed to pull the plug, that, that they were going to need to take him off machines. And she said, you don't know, you don't know my husband, Lindsay, you do not know Lindsay. And so she's like, this is between him and God. And if Lindsay's ready to go, I will honor that and we'll know it. But if he's not, I am not pulling the plug. And after about six months in a coma, he was able to come out on the other side. And he had some pretty intense experiences on the other side. Um, family members like his dad and his uncles and others who gave him lots of information. And he learned a lot of great lessons. And now he's doing these incredible things in the world and helping a lot of people with their businesses, through their illnesses, to believe in themselves and to have more faith. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing both those stories. Uh, do you know where they're going to put the statue of responsibility? Well, um, we were attempting to get that put in California because that was one of Dr. Frankel's and his wife Ellie's favorite places was California. Um, but with um, how how things are going, um, it would take more than 20 years just to get the permits to begin to build. Yes. And um, uh, Gary and Lisa are not getting any younger and they get to see this built. They've been the passion and the power behind this. So um, there is another state that wants this. And um, uh, in fact, there is a big meeting next week. So I, I can't tell you much about it right now, but you will be hearing about it because um, pretty soon our nation is gonna be selling, uh, celebrating its 250 anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And I promise you by that date, you will have heard and know of the Statue of Responsibility being built. It's very cool. Outstanding. Bridget, you've given some tips and tidbits along the way here tonight. I usually like you usually ask this at the end, but you've given some already. It's the best three things an author that just wants to get their story out, their personal story. What's three things they can do to make it genuine, vulnerable, and worthwhile to the audience? Oh, I love that. Um, there's a lot you can do to make it genuine, compelling, worthwhile to an audience. The, the number one thing is that um, to have a clear intention that this is your legacy. That means you're going to give it your best. It's more than just an expensive business card or, you know, a peg on on the bedpost or, or what have you, a notch on the belt. Like this is a, a way for you to actually gift the world with something that will outlive you and therefore put your best into it. Um, the second thing is to believe in the power of your story to change the world because it can. I've seen it over and over. And to, to recognize that it means effort, but you've been doing effort for a long time. You know, whether you're in the military or outside of the military, you're probably listening to this because you believe in loyalty and dedication and hard work. And so, um, and then the third one would be to create a timeline because a lot of people will like, hey, I want to write a book. And if it's nonfiction, it's based on their story or some lessons that they've learned. And so they'll pull different stories from their memory banks and put them on paper and then they get lost. They're just like, I don't I don't know what to do with these now. There's like it, it's not leading anywhere. What I have found is if someone creates a chronological timeline of their life, two amazing things happen. Number one is 
they become more grounded in their own story and they recognize um, so many more memories, so much greater understanding of who they are, what they represent. Um, and also just like this happened before this, which prompted this. And then he said this, and then I went and did this thing. And you end up liking yourself better because you understand yourself better. It's a beautiful thing that happens. The other beautiful thing about it, though, is that you see patterns that you would not have seen before that are the makings of an incredible story. And if you are anchored in time and space, your reader will be anchored in time and space and they won't get lost. The number one reason why people put a, a book down is because they can't follow that writing and they don't know what they're experiencing, where they are. And so if you've got it and you nail it, then your reader is going to be along for a beautiful ride. So those are my three tips. Awesome. Hopefully everyone adheres those tips as they move forward. I don't know if you've seen it while you're talking. Uh, one of our listeners and one of our family here at Domestic Nation, Jake, jumped on and said, uh, Bridget now have a dedicated area in his Amazon cart. He looks forward to reading all your books. So. Oh, how wonderful. Thank you. I'm very honored. He'll definitely do it. He he, bought my, he was the first one to get my book and had me sign it at work. He's a, a great friend brother I have at the, at the office. So. Oh, that's beautiful. So, Bridget, how does someone get in contact with you to either, I guess, have you help them write their story or get tips and tricks on how to get on stage, be a better leader, anything you do for them? Beautiful. Well, you can always reach out to me because I welcome people and stories. I love to hear from you. So I have a couple different ways. Social media, obviously, um, just Bridget Cook Birch. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Those are my primary um, alignable. And I have a website called yourinspiredstory.com because it's all about you. And no matter where you're at on your writer's journey, whether you're just barely beginning or you're trying to figure out how to publish, I have all kinds of offerings for you. It's my favorite thing to do to raise emerging leaders and to highlight um, leaders who know that they have something amazing to share. I believe we need greater and better leaders on the planet. And so whatever I can do to help you, go to yourinspiredstory.com and I cannot wait to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you, Bridget. Again, thank you for taking your time tonight to hang out with us and uh, and take time away from your Akita to hang out with us as well. <laughs> well, I hope your puppy right. under the under the desk is having a great time as well. He, he ran towards the door and I rang the bell. He's, he didn't want to hear that no more. So he left. He's, oh, he's right behind me now. So. He's like, she tells too scary of stories. I don't want that. She makes bells <laughs> ring. <laughs> All right, you have a good night, Bridget. <laughs> You too. Thank you so much. It was great to be yeah. on. Good night. Thank you. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Got a question about your VA benefits, health care, or eligibility? Go to VA.gov, where you can access a new interactive chatbot to ask questions 24-7. One can still browse VA.gov for information, but you can now ask specific questions to the chatbot, like what's the PACT Act? How do I apply for disability benefits? What's my claims? Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. That's themisfitnation.com. 
check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation review. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Cause we are Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation.